0: Thank you very much. I'd like for you to take God's word with me this evening and turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2. We'll be, begin our reading there. We're continuing the series that we began last week on the Christian home. And if there's one institution that is under attack today, it's the Christian home. Somebody once said the foundation of every." Nation and civilization is the family. And if you tear that apart, then you tear apart your own nation and your own civilization. There has been a lot of research done on the rise and falls of civilizations. And those civilizations that have ceased to exist have all failed on the same point and in the same area And that is in the destruction, self-destruction of the family unit. Everyone without exception. So this evening I want to look at the idea of marriage by divine design. Where do we get the idea of marriage from? Did you ever wonder that? If you don't figure that out, then anything goes under that title and term of marriage. You ever wondered why things are looking so crazy in the world today? In 2012, Brazil made international headlines by accepting the world's first civil union between three people. In 2017, Colombia joined the headlines by formalizing a civil union, the first civil union between three men, a so-called thruple, the boasted and since then it has continued and they expect will continue and we are living in a day in a society where if we don't go with the ever changing flow we're made to feel as if we are wrong if you don't embrace the ever changing idea then you are made to feel as if you're the odd one. And sometimes we feel a little uncomfortable, don't we? When people raise these issues and we feel as if we can't even voice our opinion because we feel as if we are being criminalized if we do. We feel as if we are being some terrible person if we don't agree and condone every new thing that society comes up with. So is this all okay? Is it just the reality of an evolving society? Right? That's what people say. (coughs) Society is evolving. Get with the program. Right? The question is where do you draw the line? When do you stop and say, okay, that's not a marriage. There are all over the world, they're popping up, different scenarios of different groups of people wanting to be married, mothers wanting to marry sons and fathers wanting to marry daughters and men wanting to marry animals and all sorts of bizarre things because the guidelines of marriage have been pushed and extended and they're no longer clear. And so when you begin to push in one area and say, well, actually, this is now acceptable, then where do you draw the line and say, this is not acceptable? Where do we get our perspective? How do we give an answer? Where do we get our perspective on what is deemed acceptable? What is right or wrong? As Christians, you and I have a fixed point of reference. Now, oftentimes, that's misunderstood as being narrow-minded. You Christians are all a bunch of narrow-minded bigots. No, actually, we are all a bunch of stable-minded people. And that's a rare thing to find in a world of instability. And no wonder suicide rates are climbing. And no wonder depression is on the rise. Because the world is becoming increasingly more unstable with each new invention and each new addition, then young people have no idea what's right and what's wrong, and their minds are spinning out of control. They don't know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Therefore, mental health cases are rising. Nobody knows what's to, what to expect anymore. But what does God say? If you owned a Henry Hoover If you wanted to run that thing properly, well, where would you go? You wouldn't go down to the Ford manufacturer and say, Hello, uh, Mr. Henry Ford, I bought a Henry Hoover. You think you could help me with it? Uh, Henry Ford, the, the inventor of the automobile, would say to you, I'm sorry, that's not my department. If you want to run a Henry Hoover, then you want to go to the manufacturer. The man who manufactured the Henry Hoover was a fellow called Chris Duncan. You'd go to Mr. Duncan, and he'd tell you how to do it. So surely, if you want to know how should marriage work, we must go to God. Genesis chapter 1 is the first book of the Bible. Verse number 1 is the first verse of the Bible. And the first verse of the Bible begins like this. In the beginning, after billions and billions of years. No, that's not what it says, sorry. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That was an intentional act. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't mere chance. An intentional act of creation. And if you don't get that right, then you won't get the rest of it right. You jump down to verse number 31 and you find that in God's creation, verse number 26, pardon me, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We begin to understand, we get the first glimpses of the the triune God in the very first chapter of the Bible. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. If you jump down to verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. At the end of God's creation, it was a six day long event. At the end of those six days, God said, what I have created is good. Not just good, very good. Now, if sin had been involved in that, would God have said it was good? If disease had been involved in that, would God have said it was good? No, it was perfect. And in his perfection, God created male and female. That was his design. In chapter 5 verse number 1 it's further stated this is the book of the generations of Adam and the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him male and female created he them. That's God's design. You know it's interesting to think of when God created man he had, had a blank canvas. When God created the world he had a blank canvas. He could have set up society any way that he wanted. We are told in his word, how he chose to do that. And people today think they've got a better idea, and they say, well, what's wrong with this combination, or what's wrong with that combination? But the reality is that was not God's design. God's clear and perfect design was male and female. That's what we see, and that's what we begin to understand. Now, what went wrong? How did we end up where we are today? Seems to be getting worse. Headlines seem to be only getting worse with different inventions. But how did we get here today? Romans chapter 1 tells us how humanity gets to where it is. How humanity got to where it is and how each civilization gets to where it gets. Romans chapter 1 verse number 26 Look at it with me, please. Pardon me. Verse number 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. Speaking of humanity. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Meaning creation itself tells us that there's a God and tells us that there's a powerful God. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And what you begin to notice in humanity is a digression. And would you look this way, I know many people who take this same path. They are given an understanding about God and they maybe even profess to agree. Yes, there's a God, and I know uh, these things to be true about God. But because the scriptures say they do not glorify God as God, because you will not recognize God for who He is, and because they will not be thankful to that God for how He has created things, they then become vain in their imaginations. Here's what, here's, In essence, here's what humanity does, and here's what some of us do. We don't like the idea that God came up with. And we think we've got a better idea. Now that is that goes beyond just marriage. That goes beyond a holiness of life and living. Well, I don't know why you think we are, you know, I don't have to live like that. I don't have to do all of that. and And we think we can do our own thing. But every time you do that, turning your back on what you know to be true about God, then you are headed downhill. And some of you, Some, perhaps watching and listening tonight, have been heading downhill for a long time now. And it all began when you refused to glorify God as you should, when you weren't thankful for what God has done and who He is, and you began to become empty in your thinking. You began to think about things that had no meaning. And the Bible says their foolish heart, the heart was already foolish, it became dark. It became darker. It was darkened. And watch how it goes. Are you listening? Because some of you might be on that beginning stage right now. Some of you might be on this verse right here. And you are, your mind is getting darker and darker and darker because you refuse to glorify God and thank Him for who He is. Now watch what happens. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We know better than God. That always ends up bad. In every category of life professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of God, of the uncorruptible God, into an image made like corruptible man. Meaning, I don't like that idea of God. I want to be God. To birds and forfeited beasts and creeping things. And because of that, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. What's the digression? So God said, okay. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now man becomes immoral who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let me tell you a dangerous road that you're walking on is when you take your worship from God and you begin to worship that which has been created, whether it be another person, whether it be yourself. And instead of worshiping God and doing what you know to be right, you say, I want to do what I want to do. And then... God gives, the Bible says, gave you up to uncleanness. And for this cause, in verse number 26, God gave them up to vile affections. Now it goes a step lower. Their heart's getting darker. Their mind is getting darker. Heart is darker. Mind is foolish. God gave them up to vile affections. So he he first gave you up to uncleanness. Now he gives them up. He lets them go even further. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. If you don't understand what that is, the next verse tells you, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Do you see how how it happened? How did we get to where we are today? How did we get to saying marriage is no longer between a man and a woman? The marriage can be between whoever, whatever combination you want. And let's make it three. That sounds nice. And now people are contemplating marriage between animals. How did we get there? It all began when man refused to glorify God as God. You say, I would never be like that. Well, but let me tell you, you're on the way if you refuse to glorify God as God. You're on your way. And it's a matter of time before you take steps down, down, down. Paul speaks very clearly uh, under the inspiration of God's spirit that It was the natural plan of God that a man, male and female, would be that which would make up marriage, the home, the family. It's an interesting thought when you go back to Genesis. A man and a woman together was God's design from the very beginning. And marriage is the cornerstone of the family. So if you get that wrong, then the family is wrong. There's something that a man possesses that a woman cannot give to their children. And there's something that a woman possesses that a man cannot give to their children. So God in his infinite wisdom created the home, the family, to be a male and a female who could contribute what children, you couldn't have children, we all know that, Without male and female, there's no other option. So we understand that that is the cornerstone to the family, marriage is, and family is the cornerstone to a nation. And families are really the strength of nations and civilizations. And so when God built a society, the very first thing that he established on earth, when he built a society, the first thing he established was the family. Do you think about that? He could have established businesses and governments first. He could have established law and order first, but he established family, marriage. Now, why? Genesis chapter 2, we find some of the whys, because that's important. I think as Christians, we ought to be those who know why, not just say, well, this is what we believe, like it or lump it. There ought to be something in us that says we understand and we're able to speak articulately and clearly about what we believe. We don't have to be nasty and unkind. If folks have different opinions, we can be quite settled on what we believe to be true and know to be true based upon God's word. What are the purposes of marriage? If you look back in our text and Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, and God blessed them. Can I tell you, the blessing of God is upon that union, none other. I don't mean to be unkind, but that's what the scriptures say. God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So we find from the very beginning that perhaps one of the first reasons and purposes of marriage that we see one of three that we'll look at tonight is to preserve God's order. The moment you tear that apart then the order of nature itself crumbles. The moment you mess with that science tells us that. Biology tells us that if you remove the male and female union You no longer have life. It's a matter of time before there is no life. So God intended a male and a female. He made male and female together in order to preserve his own order, to bring children into a stable environment. You know, it's interesting. You find in Scripture, God never envisaged a child to be born out of wedlock. God never envisaged a child, and that happens, and God is gracious and merciful and is able to do some marvelous things when things happen that go contrary to his plan. But God created male and female, man and woman, to be, to be together in marriage. God blessed that union. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, that is the commentary of Genesis 1, 27 and 8. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 18, you'll find in there uh, exactly how God did this. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Then you begin to see what God does in order to make this happen. God then says, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, the earth. And that is exactly, I think it's a strange thing in 2021. Anytime there's a family that has any more than three children, you're considered weird. And it never used to be that way. Only the last 50 or 60 years it had become that way, but... Uh, this country has used to historically be known for large families, but now if you have any more than three children, they think, boy, you're such a strange family there. Six children, are they all yours? Yes, they're all ours. But that's really part of what God intended for the family unit. Be fruitful and Multiply. To become one. It's a beautiful thing. In fact Malachi tells us that the blessing is upon them. That that man might bring forth a godly seed. Beautiful promise of the Lord Jesus that is to come. But also a promise and a a picture of God's intention for this earth. Not just children for the sake of children. But children for the sake of godly seed. Godly children. Proverbs chapter 5. If you turn there with me please. Just a couple of thoughts quickly. In Proverbs chapter 5, you'll find here with, along this same little thought of our first reason of why God instituted instituted marriage. Proverbs 5 verse 15, look at it with me. Drink waters out of thine own cistern. Now, God is as a order to marriage. This is important because we're living in a day when people want to change partners like they change socks. And it's okay, right? It's okay. You can end the marriage as quickly as you started a marriage. But there's a divine order that male and female, man and woman will be married and that would be enduring. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of waters in thy streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. This was God's plan. Be faithful to the wife. Men, be faithful to the wife that God gave you. Drink from your own cistern, your own well. Song of Solomon speaks of the same thing. And uh, let thy fountains be dispersed. It's the idea of children. Husband draws water out of the well. Husband opens a spring and they're children. It's It's the pattern that God gives us. Children are never to belong to someone else. As it were, it's God's plan that children belong. Let them be thine own they belong to you husbands and wives raise their children not somebody else that's god's plan it's always sad when we see families broken apart sometimes we find there are necessary reasons for that to be but it's god's plan that a father and a mother a husband and a wife raise their own children it's very clear in scripture and children are blessed Did you know that children are blessed when they are born into a loving, caring Christian home? Parents are blessed themselves when they bring children up in a Christian home. Psalm 127 verse 5 tells us that. God knows what he's doing. And if we would only follow his pattern, we would be okay. Now what's another reason for marriage? Back in Genesis chapter 2. Verse number 18, Some there are some folks tonight who long to be married and looking forward to it. And I'm sure you give a hearty amen after, after this next verse. But the Bible says the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone. So another reason that God created this beautiful union of marriage is for companionship. Lifelong companionship. As a general rule, God does not desire that man should be alone. Now, there are times when it is God's will that a man may not, perhaps doesn't marry or a woman doesn't marry, and that's okay. But as a general rule, it is not good that man should be alone. And so, in Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen, we find that God says, "Okay, then I will make him and help meet for him, appropriate for him." It's interesting, God had given Adam, God made Adam and given Adam all the animals of creation, and yet he was alone. He was surrounded with all of God's beautiful creation in its perfection, and Adam was still alone. It was not good for man to be alone because, let's be honest, sometimes man needs looking after. My wife sometimes says, yes, I have six children seven if you count my husband. Sometimes we need a little bit of help, don't we? But also because man needs companionship, a comp- needs company together. Ecclesiastes four is a beautiful portion of scripture that deals with this uh, this wonderful thought of companionship. Ecclesiastes chapter four and verses eight to twelve. The scriptures say, verse number seven: Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone. And there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all of his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a a sore travail. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone. When he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But How can one be warm alone? If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A beautiful thought of companionship. This isn't just marriage, but friendship as well. That uh, Solomon starts out by speaking about one who's alone, living by himself, living for himself, laboring, rich, yet empty and lonely. You ever met somebody who was rich but lonely? It's a sore travail. It's a painful thing. What's the point if you have all of these things and nobody to share it with? What's the point of gathering, gathering, gathering and having no one to share it with? Two are better than one. There's an inbuilt need in each and every one of us to an extent, to a point where we realize we need, all of us need companionship. If you've ever suffered from loneliness, you know what I'm talking about. He goes on and says, because they have a good reward for their labor. Labor. Isn't it wonderful to work together? If you've ever, if you have a working marriage, isn't it good to work together? It's kind of a sad thing. I see it sometimes. I see marriages where there are two people living in the same home but living two totally different lives and they're not laboring together. It's more like you do that and I'll do this. Laboring together is the blessing of the marriage union. It's not two lives, separate lives, but two become one. Marvelous thought to labor together and know that somebody else is enjoying. Those things that we're laboring together with. The scriptures go on. If they fall, look at what it says. If one falls, then the other one will help him up. Or would you look this way? The ideal thing in every marriage is that husband and wife are both Christians. Because when you get down, when the husband begins to struggle spiritually, then the wife can encourage him along. When the wife struggles spiritually, then the husband can encourage her along. This isn't just falling physically. That's a nice illustration. Somebody falls down, then someone can come along and help them stand up. But spiritually, the beauty of a marriage union is that we can help one another when we fall. Scriptures go on. There's a warmth together with two. There's a safety together with two. And I love verse number 12. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, some of our modern friends may like to uh, explain their position on this civil union, three way civil union, but this is talking, we believe, with all of our hearts. Man, woman, and God. Man, woman, and God. The strongest, ma- strongest marriages on this planet are those when a husband and wife realize God is the central thread. The central cord. If you remove God from your marriage, you're weak already. You have marriages, is in the sight constituted, instituted by God. We say our marriage vows before God. And yet we try to live our marriages without God. We find this beautiful beautiful picture here think about the marriage vows that people make they stand before an altar oftentimes a marriage altar and they say this for better or worse i hope that when you said those vows you meant them what about richer or poorer what happens when the poorer comes in sickness and in health you see Many marriages today are dissolved quite quickly. They say, on average, the average marriage in the Western world lasts 18 months. Think about that. 60% of marriages in this part of the world end in divorce. 6 out of 10. Don't be another statistic. How does that happen? Because their vows were not made in a conscious effort towards God. And they are just words that were said. But there's a beauty of two working together. There's a beauty of two laboring together. By the way, our marriages depend upon our reaction to these things. The poorer, the worse, the sickness. Our marriage depends on our reaction to those things more than it depends upon the better, the richer, the healthier. Anybody can live happily ever after. When they're rich and healthy and better than everybody else. But what about when things, when your health is crumbling? What about when your pocket is empty? It's an interesting thing. When you look at Genesis, when God created man, male and female, it doesn't say he gave, there was a home or a bank. Certainly wasn't an automobile yet. No internet, no mobile phones. They had one another and God, and they were, didn't even have clothes yet. They had one another in God. And they were happy. Husbands and wives, if we could get back to the basics. Keep your clothes, please. But if we could get back to the basics, happy with one another in God, wouldn't we be better off? Chasing after the filthy things of the world, chasing after the materialistic things of the world, just drives a wedge between you and God and you and your husband or wife. If two lie together, the scriptures say there's a care, there's a warmth there, there's a protection. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse number 9, listen to this verse. An excellent verse says this, Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity which she hath given thee under the sun. All the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. That's your portion. Meaning, that's what you get. That's your inheritance. That's the blessing, that you can live joyfully. Let's write that one down. Live joyfully. Now, the prescription is joyfully. The person is the wife or husband, ladies. The period is the length of all of your days, all of your life. And the purpose is that you can have your portion in life. It's beautiful. Right there in that passage. If you're married this evening or hope to be, then that husband or wife, God has given them that you might enjoy life together. That you can make the most of life together. Now that happens only as God is a part of it. See, the problem is in the world, uh, people have tried to erase God from their thinking. They've tried to remove Him, and therefore there, there is no joy in it. That's why they're looking to other equations. To try to make it joyful. Now, one last reason. Why why did God institute marriage? Well, to preserve His order in this world, to provide companionship. And one last thing found in Galatians, Ephesians chapter five. I believe ultimately that one of the the biggest, the, the best reason God instituted marriage is to give this world a glimpse of the reality between God and man. To show us his love for humanity. It's an interesting thing. You know, marriage is not eternal. Some of you men said, I'm just kidding. Marriage is only till death do us part. When we get to heaven, we will not be married in heaven. I believe we'll still recognize one another in heaven, but we will not be married in heaven. Jesus explained that. Do you remember when the Sadducees tried to catch him out? The Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, and they brought this scenario of a, of a woman who was married to a, a, a one of, of seven brothers. You remember the story? They made it up. One brother died, and so she married the other brother, and he died, and she married the other. She ended up marrying all seven brothers, and then he died, and then finally she died. And they said, well, who's she going to be married to in heaven? And the Lord Jesus said, you, you, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. There won't be any marriages in heaven, he went on to say. That's why our vows say, till death do us part. The Scriptures, Apostle Paul made it clear in the book of Romans that death ends that vow. And so we find that in Ephesians chapter 5, one of the most beautiful things about marriage is that it is a glimpse and a picture of God's love for us. A couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 5, we were given this marriage prescription and we'll spend some time over the next several weeks looking at it. But uh, I love reading this portion at a wedding because it gives the instruction to husbands and wives. But I believe it begins in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God. By the way, you will never have a good marriage if you don't learn to give thanks. There's nothing worse than a grumbling relationship. Grumbling, murmuring, complaining. No, give thanks. Your home will be a much happier place if both husband and wife learn to give thanks. In fact, it says giving thanks always for all things. Giving thanks for the burnt dinner. Giving thanks when the electric runs out. Giving thanks when you didn't get what you wanted. Give thanks. In all things. It changes everything. Speaking with somebody on the phone today, going through a a dark time, I said, look, take out a notebook and begin to write down things you're thankful for. Start a thankful journal journal, if you have a hard time being thankful. That's the first part of a marriage. Giving thanks always for all things unto, unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Do you know long before, before you get to wives, submit to your own husbands, which all the fellas like, before you get there, it says submitting yourselves one to another. Because let's be honest, fellas, there are sometimes when our wives have a better idea than we do. I know we don't like to admit that, but it's true. Submitting yourselves one to another. Look what it says, in the fear of God. Would you look this way for a moment? One thing that's missing in many marriages today is the fear of God you would never speak to your wife like you do if you feared God. You'd never nag him like you do if you feared God. A proper fear of God. An understanding that God is with us in this home, with us in this marriage. I'd be careful how I spoke and careful how I acted. And then we come Wives, submit yourselves to your own God. Now watch this. Because in this, there is a spiritual dimension in the family, in the home, in the marriage that God intended. That you cannot grasp unless you know the author of marriage himself, which is God. And that's why people are missing out. That's why marriages only last 18 months. Because they don't understand marriage. This is why marriages are crumbling and falling. Because they don't. No, who gave us marriage? They don't know what marriage should look like. And they don't understand the prescribed way that it should look and behave. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now there are two parts of a marriage. Well, two, two roles, husband and wife. And the scriptures say, wives, submit yourselves as unto the Lord. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Both involve a viewing of Jesus Christ. So wife, you'll never be the wife you should be without looking unto Jesus. Husband, you will never be the husband you should be without looking unto Jesus. That's why marriages are crumbling, because people don't want to look at Christ. Now watch. Wife. Submit yourself. That means to place yourself beneath. Now Nobody likes that. But we all understand that it's necessary. That makes some people's blood boil. It's it's interesting to me that some people don't like that. But they completely understand it when it comes to a place of, uh, of, of work. A place of... Even a place of education. We, everybody understands that there's got to be a principal. There's got to be a head teacher, right? Everybody understands that. And nobody, nobody disagrees with that. Nobody says, well, how come we can't have 10 head teachers? Everybody understands there's got to be a boss, a CEO. Nobody complains. They realize that that's the way it works. But all of a sudden, when you get a marriage, we've got a problem with that. It's a matter of order and structure. By the way, Christ, ladies, Christ gave you a beautiful example himself. Did you know that the Lord Jesus submitted himself to his Father's will? Does that make him less than God the Father? Not at all. He was co-equal with God the Father, co-eternal, with, co-existent with God the Father. But he submitted himself to God's will. God's will was his will. He wasn't any less than God the Father. He'll never be any less than God the Father, but he was willing Remember what he said, not my will, but thine be done. Ladies, it doesn't make you less to submit to your husband. Contrary to what the modern feminist movement says. Submit yourselves as unto the Lord. As you would follow Christ, follow your husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In fact, verse 32 further explains that This is a great mystery. All this explanation about husband and wife is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Marriage is about Christ and the church, not just about you. Did you know that? And the sooner you and I realize marriage is not just about me and what I want and what I can get, but it's about Jesus Christ and the church. The sooner you and I realize that, the better our marriages will be and the more beautiful they will become. You ever looked at a marriage and say, I'm glad I'm not married to her, or I'm glad I'm not married to him. You ever thought that before? Because it's not what it ought to be. Have you ever also, likewise, have you ever seen a marriage that was so beautiful? There was an absolute beautiful union there. There was a love and an affection and a tenderness there. It wasn't perfect, because nobody's perfect. But it was beautiful. Because each one understood where they belonged, Each one understood one another and it was beautiful. That's what God intends. In Ephesians chapter 5, Christ says, I'm going to teach you about the way I love the church. I'm going to show you how I love you. And look what he says. The way you husbands love your wives should show the world how Jesus loves them. Did you ever think about that? Husbands, look here for a second. You're to love your wife the same way that Jesus loves you. Now well, that's hard. Jesus loved you when you were ungodly. Before you ever loved him, he loved you. When you didn't deserve it, he loved. When you didn't deserve it, he loved you. When you were running away from him, he loved you. And men, we get, it, we get it all backwards. We think, well, I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to treat you right unless you do this for me. And You've got it all wrong. That's not the way the Lord Jesus loved the church, is it? In fact, everything rises and falls on leadership. Did you ever hear that one before? And if the man is to lead in the home, if the man is not loving the way that he ought to love, then the woman will never be submitting the way that she ought to. Everything rises and falls on leadership. If the man does not get his part right, nobody else will get theirs right. It's rare anyways. I'm going to teach you about the church's faithful service. Christ was saying in this, I'm going to teach you about how the church ought to follow Christ. By the way that a wife follows her husband. The church ought to go anywhere, Jesus says, right? Christian, we ought to do what he tells us to do. We've got to follow him. And by the way, Christ has never been forceful. Christ has never been arrogant. Christ has never been unkind. Did the Lord Jesus ever force you? Did he ever, was he ever cruel or unkind to you in the way that he led you? Not at all. Fathers, husbands, nor should we be that way to our wives. If we're leading the way that we ought to, it would help our ladies, our wives, to follow the way that they should. The Christian home, the family, should be a living testimony to all around. you know that? Wherever your home is, we've had, we have some folks uh, here from Banbury, some folks from uh, Minster Lovell, some folks from Botley, some folks from Swindon, some folks from High Wycombe, all over. A whole load of folks, a host of folks. Different locations, Siren, Whitney, Oxford. All over, I'm just having a little bit of a glimpse around here. All of our families in different locations. Now, our families should be a light to the community around us. They ought to be able to look at our families and say, that is a beautiful family. Not just because they wear nice clothes and comb their hair, but because there's a love there. There's an order there that is beautiful, that mirrors what's happening in heaven. It ought to be a beautiful display of God's love for us. And the way that we ought to follow Christ. It's a great opportunity. You ever think about this? The first picture of God. That a child will ever see. Will be his father. Think about that. And if the father is. Doing what he ought to do. Loving his wife as he ought to. That child will have no trouble. Understanding the sacrificial love. Of a heavenly father. When he sees it in his earthly father. Fathers that's a. High mark to live up to. But your children are looking at, looking at you. The first picture that a child will see of a selfless, sacrificial love to God will be what he sees in his mother. Do you know that, mothers? You're setting a pattern for your children of how Christians should respond to Christ. How Christians should follow our Heavenly Father. And they'll have no problem understanding that as long as they've got a mother who is in godly submission. The first picture that a child will get of security will be what he finds in his father and mother. When they both come home every night to one another. You'll see in his home an example of faithfulness. Christ is faithful to us, isn't he? And the Christian ought to be faithful to the Savior. You know, it's an interesting thing. we us look here for a moment. Jesus never fails us. He's faithful. But I wonder how faithful you are to him. Now, everybody says, it's not right. If a woman was unfaithful to her husband, what a tragedy. But yet, here we are unfaithful to Jesus Christ every single day and week. Some of Some of us, perhaps. The first picture that a child will see of putting others first will be what he sees in his father and his mother. When they put one another first in their own home. He'll have no problem if he sees it in his father and mother. But some children grow up seeing a bunch of selfish, overgrown children running the home. Did you know that? Some children grow up seeing a a couple of selfish children. That's what they are. Some parents. And no wonder the world is what it is today. Because they're not following the pattern that's given to us in Scripture. Your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues who don't go to church, who don't read the Bible, will see the principle of God's love, should see the principle of God's love in you. John chapter 14 and verse number 8. Beautiful little verse. Scripture says this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And it sufficeth us. Jesus said, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Do you know who the body of Christ is? The church. And so in in essence, we have the responsibility of showing the world who God is. Because if you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. And the world should see Christ. We are the body of Christ. They should see Christ in us. They should see Christ in our marriages, in our homes. When Satan began to destroy the family, think about this. He not only rendered a whole generation of children incapable of seeing the joy of being a disciple of Christ, but he also rendered them incapable of seeing what it's like to have a heavenly father that will never leave them, or forsake them. Did you ever think about that? When Satan ripped a family apart, took a father away, he took away that should be the pattern and picture of a loving heavenly father. Satan's clever, isn't he? He's going after the family. Husbands and wives, hold on. Fight through. Not one another, but fight through. Because you have a great opportunity and responsibility to show Christ in this world. We get our understanding of marriage directly from God's word. You say, yes, but society says this, or you know, that things are changing. No, no, no. God's word doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. Marriage was designed by God. It's interesting. uh, Each one of those, whatever you call them, civil partnerships or unions between three people. But all of them said this. We're not religious. But yet they wanted to be married. Which is religious. Instituted by God. It's interesting, isn't it? God ordained it. Some of you are going to be married soon. Look at God's pattern for it. Some of you have been married for a long time. Revisit God's pattern for it so that we get it right. God designed it, not man. Let's keep it his way. Let's pray together, then we'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, we ask of thee to help us tonight to get a clear view from thy word of what marriage ought to be. As things are changing around us, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon thee and upon thy word. May Christ be exalted in our homes and our relationships. Help us, Father, to recognize the great responsibility and accountability that we hold and have and use us, we pray. We thank you for the Savior. May he be exalted in our marriages and in our homes. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.